Hi, and welcome to a small, medium at large podcast. I'm your host, Gail Heisen, bringing you intimate interviews beyond normal boundaries. I want to thank all you listeners for subscribing, liking, sharing, and especially sending us your really nice comments. We appreciate it very much, and we really love hearing from you. Today, we have a special guest who's returning to us almost a year later from when we had her on her show earlier when she spoke about karma. This time, Jill Lowey, who some of the audience have not heard about before, I'm going to tell you them about her right now. Jill Lowey has been teaching and practicing Tai Chi and Qigong for many years. She studied under authentic Tai Chi master Wei Sun Liao in Chicago, Illinois. She's the author of many books, including Practicing the Way of the Tao Te Ching and 10 Ways to Improve Your Karma. She has a master's degree in counseling psychology. She currently lives in Colorado, where she enjoys hiking and bicycling. And I want to say that having you here on the second podcast is a thrill for us. And I also want our listeners to know that I'm going out to Colorado and I'm going to meet Jill in person. So here's to the joy of meeting new people on our podcast. So today I want to welcome her. So welcome here, Jill. We're really happy to see you again. Yeah, it's really great to see you again. I can't wait to see you when you come out to Colorado. Yeah, it's going to be fun to hug in person. (laughs) So I, I read most of your book and which is practicing the way of, is it Tao Te Ching or how do you say that correctly? Tao Te Ching, practicing the way of the Tao Te Ching. Beautiful. And, and let me let me begin by saying that um, um, as as a precursor, um, the way I got into first of all practicing Tai Chi is uh, when I was in my um, oh back in my early twenties. Wow, so long ago. Yes, yes. I was sitting in a park one day and just just a park in near Chicago, Illinois, where I was um, going to school. And I saw this guy practicing this weird dance movement. And I, and I had no idea what it was. And I was just sitting there watching him transfixed while he was doing this, the, these dance-like movements, except really slow. And almost looked like he was doing something from outer space. Uh-huh. And I just, I had, I had never seen it before. I didn't know what it was but I really liked it. I really liked it. And so I stuck around. He did it for, he kept going when I was there for about 20 minutes and then he stopped and I I approached him. I said, what is that wonderful dance that you're doing? He said, it's called Tai Chi. And I had never heard of that before. And so that started me on the long journey of practicing Tai Chi and Qigong and, studying the Tao Te Ching. And my book was written in, in another interesting way is that um, I had went to um, South Padre for a month uh, vacation by myself. Um, my boyfriend, Paul, couldn't go because he was working. And I had just um, retired from the state of Colorado as a counselor that I, I did for umpteen years. <laughs> And so I wanted to take some time to go by myself and 
just to go someplace warm. And so I went by myself and um, they say one of the sayings in the Tao Te Ching is the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. And so I took this thousand mile journey to um, Florida, I mean, to South Padre, Texas, and um, started um, writing the book that you have that um, practicing the way of the Tao Te Ching. And the way I would do it was really interesting is each day I would read a passage from the Tao Te Ching and then I would reflect on it throughout the whole day. I, first I would meditate on, on the passage and, and then I would spend the whole day thinking about it and contemplating on it because it's, it's not clear. I mean, for a student who first reads um, the Tao Te Ching, it's not clear to you what it might mean. Can you, you, could read, can, huh? you can you just for some of their listeners and including myself, can you just give a little background before about what the how old is the Tao Te Ching and is this a, a book or is this scriptures that were written thousands of years ago or is this a Buddhist teaching or can you tell me what the background is? Sure, it, it's uh, an ancient teaching. It was written by um, an uh, enlightened being called Lao Tzu. Oh. Who Lao Tzu is, nobody knows. He just, he's attributed to be the author of the Tao Te Ching. The story was that um, he was more of a hermit. He kept to himself. He didn't like teaching uh, in big classes or temples or anything like that he kept to himself but one of the the story goes that one of the um uh, one of his practitioners uh, before because he was planning on leaving uh just to go be a hermit and to be away from society and one of his practitioners um, convinced him before he went to be a hermit and be away from society to write a little bit about his teachings. And so before he left, he wrote the Tao Te Ching. That's the way the story goes. And that goes way back to, um, they say around six to 700 BC. Oh, wow. So it's very old. It's before, theoretically, it's before Buddhism. And so, but scholars debate that. And, but anywhere around 500 to 700 BC. And where in the world was he then? Was he in uh, China or? Yeah, China, China. I believe that's. And so, so there's one thing in your book that you say at the end, uh, you say, I've stopped here at 55 verses <laughs> of this. And I was wondering how many verses there were. Yeah, there's, there's, there's over a hundred verses. Oh. So I still got a ways to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's book two. That'll be book one. <laughs> Part two will be brother. part two. 56 part two. to 100, right? Part two when I get to it. But what I was just saying also is that I would, the way I wrote it is um, I didn't go in and research what the scholars had to say about each of these stanzas. And so it's not, it's not a scholarly work. It's one that, that I developed through my intuition. I would practice, I would read the scripture, and based on my knowledge of different esoteric traditions, um, my study of Taoism and Buddhism and studying with Master Liao 
and Master Moy, I would um, sip the essence of it throughout the day by meditating on it, contemplating on it, and then writing about it. And it's amazing that my intuition would just pick up on a lot of times of what exactly the meaning was. When I was reading it, I said, what the hell does this mean? You know, and so it was, it's very, I would recommend readers whoever want to read the Tao Te Ching, just to spend some time not going reading all the way through it, but spend some time reading each passage and reflecting and contemplating. It's good to uh, read it and then go out in nature because uh, that's very inspiring and, and will help you really to get in with uh, in tune with the Tao Te Ching. I, um, uh, I, I, I was reading some of your stories that you write about when you're ex explaining the intuitive feelings you were getting. And there was one story I wanted to ask if you could share about, because I just thought it was so sweet. There's a few stories here I'm hoping you'll share about, but this one was about when you learned when you were watching a, a flow of water in an eddy and a leaf. And I thought that was very beautifully said. I was wondering if you could share that. It actually happened also. Um, it was just one day, this is back when I was, um, I was living in Vermont and I would go and I'd sit down by the river and just just enjoy the peace, peacefulness and stillness of being next to the water and watching the water flow. And so I was sitting next to the river and um, as I was sitting there, there were like these little shallow pools and um, that were off from the river. And when I was sitting there, um, just kind of contemplating, reflecting. All of a sudden, I saw this little leaf. And this leaf, I was watching it in this like this little pool, this little eddy. And this leaf kept going around and around and around. And it was stuck in this like little whirlpool. And, um, and it kept, it would stay there while the river was gently flowing. The leaf was, you could see the leaf was stuck in this little whirlpool. And and this goes back, and I'm not sure which, do you know which chapter that was from? It was right in the beginning. Because I don't remember I, uh, exactly what. Let's see. If you can point it. I had to, I, there were no pages in the book, which I thought was- No, you just go by, go by the chapter on the, like on the Tao Te, the each of the Tao chapters on the Tao Te Ching, I have there's it's listed by chapter. Uh huh. So that's how you can see. Okay. Um, okay, it wasn't the Vermont story. Let's see. It was a reflection of how that that was showing to you in the eddy something about. The 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 type the things of life how we go around like this, and then right, right. What, what I was, we tend to get stuck in our own that's mental it. mental yes. formulations and our own um, um our own uh, little stories that we tell ourselves. And yes, it was right before five. Right before five. Yes. Okay. 
I just love the way, if you'd like, I can read what you wrote, but I just loved what what you said here. It felt That's, like a yes. very good image to keep in mind about, you know, when you're struggling in life. What happens and what's really interesting, um, what it goes, let me see, it's connected to um, untying the knot. It's a good one. It, in, in the, in the, um, the verse, it goes, um, the Tao is an empty vessel, oh, unfathomable source of 10,000 things. And then he goes on to say, blunt the sharpness, untangle the knot, Merge with the dust, oh, hidden deep, but ever present. And and when you first read this passage, you know, and when I first read it, it's like, what the heck does he mean, untangle the knot? Mm -hmm. you know, what? Don't you tie a knot to tie something else or use a purpose? <laughs> Why untangle the knot? Yeah. So, but what the, after, after meditating on it, it came to me that a knot is at least, especially in acupuncture and in, is, is when the flow of chi becomes obstructed, right. it becomes knotted up. Right. When they're practicing acupuncture, they try to um, let the flow of chi, they try to put the needles in so it lets the chi flow naturally. But that is the reason why they say to untangle the knots. They're, they're, energy vortexes that we've uh, created within ourselves um, that, that continue to go operate within us and that a lot of times we don't even realize that, that they're working. In um, Buddhism, they call them kleshas. In yoga, they call them samskaras. And what they are, they're mental formations. And in Buddha, they call them unwholesome mental formations. And they're their their uh, concepts, their past experience that have happened to us that have knotted us all up, and that that we that we can't get over, we can't let it flow. Some someone has done something to us, and we can't forgive them. That experience becomes knotted up within us, and it affects us our whole lives yes. until we can let that energy flow again. So that's in that's the thing in the chi, which is a subtle energy that exists within all of us, and it's it's within everything. It, um, that also flows within us, and that can become uh, hampered through um, misconceptions and biases and hatred and. Um, Poor attitude. <laughs> poor attitude can affect how your chi flows through the body. Yes. So it's learning, learning to become aware of these chi flows. Otherwise, they continue to go. And a lot of times we don't realize them. The leaf continues to go around and around and around in a circle. And we don't even know it. You, you can tell other people when you meet them many times the attitudes and the biases that they have but they might not realize them at all. And, you know, it's a kind of people who have chips on their shoulder, the chip on their shoulder, that expression is perfect for this. 
So, and I'm thinking that there's two, there's two uh, things here. There's the knots that we create in our body that could be reflective from the knots that are in the invisible part of our body also. Right. That's how they, and so then when you have acupuncture, which I find a very incredible form of healing, uh, that can then, needles can be put into the place where that knot is and release it in the subtle energies and in the actual body it, itself. Yeah, well, the interesting thing is, is it's the subtle body, it's our energy body that, that has a result in our physical body. Yes. So when there when when there's when there's a problem with the subtle body, it's going to come out in the physical body with some kind of illness or disease or some kind of problem that will manifest. And, and acupuncture will tell you this. Uh, people who do Chinese medicine and um, uh, well, I want to just read what you said this one sentence after, so we can move on to the next question about the eddy, because I thought you wrote beautiful. You said. All I oh, I had a flash of insight. Sometimes we are right, we are like the little leaf getting caught in an eddy, which may be a problem, conflict, or karma. We go around and around, stuck in the eddy until we find liberation and join the flow of life again. When you are caught in an eddy, it is better not to struggle against it, but rather to rise above it. Become aware of the stillness. Oh, hidden deep, but ever present. I just felt that that was such a beautiful thing to acknowledge how we get stuck in these things and how this reminds us. That's a great image when all of a sudden you're in traffic or whatever it is the thing where you all of a sudden lose your center and you're going around like this. Right. It's a good image I felt to, to say, okay, just let go and then you'll be out of the eddy soon when it's ready to be released then you'll be released. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, exactly. So I I have so many questions about stories you told. Um, I was wondering about, there was a Vedic story about water and illusion. And I was wondering if you wanted to either speak about illusion or um, anything about that particular story. Water is such a wonderful representation of flow, and yes, uh, yes. for sure. And I, see, I see it's being used a lot in these um, verses and things. So they refer to the water and the flow. And I was wondering about these stories. I, I, there was another story you also told about the story of the nomad and the horse. Uh, what, what a wonderful story that is. So if either one of these comes to mind right now, if you could share one of those instead of me reading it out of the book, I would love for the listeners to hear that story. I thought, what a great lesson in knowing that sometimes we think something that negative look appears negative to us. We don't realize that, no, maybe there's a gift in that. And this story shows how there was a gift in the in the nomad and the horse. Yes, yeah. Um. That's that's one that um, that that talks about the nature of impermanence and that things change and um, they aren't always what they appear to be. Um, the one about the uh, farmer um, yes. who um, and 
horse Hi. runs out into the runs away from the from the farm and uh the family's all upset and the farmer says no no don't worry there's there may be good from this right and he keeps saying he keeps saying that not to uh, make a judgment for something that's happened until you wait and see the result of the action and whereas people automatically assume that when something um, negative or bad happens to them um, that that they judge it as something that is not a good thing, where um, it might not necessarily be that way. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that happens a lot to people. Yes. We tend to judge things that happen to us with our own preconceived ideas of, of what's good and bad. Mm -hmm. and, but what is actually good and bad, we might not actually see what the truth is behind the situation. And so it, it awakens, it, it helps us to um, examine our own judgments and our own um, ideas that we have about things and um, why we consider um, something good or something bad. And um, because there are, there are own subjective judgments that, that we make on the world. And it's really good to become aware of these judgments that we hold and and where we've derived these these opinions, these judgments, these preconceived ideas. It's really interesting. We are raised in this culture um, right from the get go, right from when we we're a baby as to the things we should do and the things we shouldn't do, that the way they're um, if it's a girl, if it's a boy, we dress them a certain way. We, 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 um, right. We say pink is a girl and blue is a boy. Why is exactly. that? Yeah, exactly. And, and we have different ideas about how they should be, how they should behave, how they should present themselves. It's right from the giggle culture and your parents, the schools, when you go to school, they teach you all kinds of information. Um, that society wants us to behave properly. And so we don't really get to, to know the essence of our being because that's not paid attention to. What's paid attention to is all the forms, the forms and how to, how to behave with the forms due usually to insecurity and fear, which is the interest in, interesting thing all the schools the way the society is the way it's established is they want people to stay in line and to behave a certain way so it doesn't cause problems for um, the way society works and they don't like critical thinkers they don't like critical thinkers they don't like creative thinkers when you go to school, do you think they enhance your creativity? No, I mean, they, <laughs> they squash it. <laughs> they, right, it's brainwashing. They take it away, and yet, and so it's it's interesting. One one of the the um, chapters in the Tao Te Ching goes for most for most people, new things are learned every day, but for the follower of the Tao. Things are dropped every day. Things are unlearned every day. So we try to we try to 
learn about ourselves, learn about our own ideas about we have about society, about ourselves, and to question them. Don't just take them because your dad told you that this is the way things should be, or you know, your grandfather taught you, oh, you should never, you know, do it. Pursuing a goal like an artist is a waste of time because you won't make any money about it at it, which is what happened to me. <laughs> when, when I was growing up, I was strongly um uh pointed away from getting into because I loved music, I loved art, and um, and I also loved counseling. And I wanted to go to school to become a counselor um, because I, I can, I figure that's more of a, that's just more of a, a compassionate uh, way that I wanted to pursue. But my parents and my grandparents, they said, well, you're not going to make no money. <laughs> It's that, well, I don't care if I make any money because that's just, that's one of the things that's established in our culture, that, that the way to be happy in our culture is to make a lot of money, to accumulate a lot of wealth. And what the Tao Te Ching teaches is that's not the way towards happiness. Talk to people who have made a lot of money. They're not any happier because they have all this money. It's really interesting. Um, they still have the same problems and um, are going through the same um, discord and um, I learned that I learned that lesson uh, because um, when I met my first husband I was on food stamps and and and, and welfare oh and interesting so I, I was but I was you know I was young I was 18 and I was if I didn't have the food stamps it's really what was helping me to get through with everything and uh, then I opened my own business, borrowing money from my family and opened up a produce stand. I ended up marrying into this uh, wealthy family. And I had not come from that kind of, there's no, it, it was all accidental or meant to be, whatever it is, but it was not in my, I was never looking to get married. I was never looking for wealth. And, um, and so it presented itself to me. And um, I went through the painful experiences of my father-in-law um, committing suicide. And uh, there were two, two attempts during the time I was involved with him. So it was something that I had experienced twice. And this, this, the second time he um, was successful, but he lived for about 12 days before he passed on. But I was so shocked when I would go to his house during that time thinking, this is a man who has everything. The most magnificent farm in Wisconsin. He's got the highest awards from the president of the United States. His family were the inventors of packaging machines and wrapping machines. So this was the real old wealth. And I would die with the people who were the old wealth that made the radio flyer. Or, you know, I mean, these were the relatives of the family I was marrying into. It was all other old wealth people. And, you know, they made the first cast iron bathtubs in America, the Kohler, Kohler Heisen, and Stein. And I married a Heisen. Heisen. <laughs> and I, I had a 
you know, I didn't know how to use a fork or a spoon or any of the things correctly because I dined, we were raised vegans. There was nothing about proper etiquette or any of these things. And um, I thought to myself, oh, this must be the life because this was something I'd never had or saw. And when I came to the house and felt the emptiness and the lack of soul in this huge 25 room mansion that was built a third generation living there that had been in this family for this many generations, starting out in the beginning when they came from Germany and they built a little small tiny house and now it's a 25 room mansion. So I thought this must be the success and the joys of life. Right, right. And then when I went in there and went to help care for him after the first attempt, it was my human touch that helped him, massaging him where he was the kind of man who would not want to be touched. That was not something in his, you know, and, you know, he's much, much older generation. And he couldn't get out of bed because he had hung himself. And so he crushed his vertebrae. And he, I'd say to him every time, even though I didn't know how to massage, I'd say, can I come in and give you a massage? He'd say, oh, no, no, no. I can't get out of bed, though. And then finally he said, okay, come in and try it. I gave him the massage and he was able to get out of bed after I gave him the massage. And I never went to massage school. I didn't know anything about massage. I'm <laughs> massaging a damaged person, you know? <laughs> but it's all from love and, and a place that was of healing for him. And he received it. And it was a very, to be able to meet this kind of a man in that place was a very special experience but then I also felt all the emptiness and loneliness that no matter how many rooms you had filled with pianos and magnificent things it didn't fill the soul right and that's where I and I was in my 20s when this happened my late 20s and um maybe I was 31 but anyways I was that young and that's when I learned that lesson that spiritually more that you have does not bring you more happiness. More that you have may bring you more into a space of loneliness. And it's the connection to people and your soul that really fills you with the warmth and the love inside. And I didn't know how to, you know, you don't know how to really do exactly what to do to help a person in that condition when the pain of their existence is so much that they would rather not be there anymore and take their life. So it was quite a lesson. And um, I wrote a really nice story about it because it was a great teaching. That's a very good, that's a really good story. <laughs> it's very, it's very Taoistic. And um, because that's what we do. We chase, we chase after, um, we chase after accumulating wealth. We chase after becoming famous. We think that's going to bring us. It's we're chasing happiness, but we're chasing it. We're always chasing it in terms of outward forms, outward things that that aren't that aren't within us. We're always looking for the answers outside of us, outside of ourselves. So we're looking to find happiness through through our possessions. We're looking for happiness through um, becoming famous. We're looking for happiness from, from our partner. 
But the Tao teaches you to look for that happiness within. Within yourself is where the happiness lies. Within that stillness of the Tao is where the happiness is. You can go run around looking for your whole life and you'll never find it in in terms of outward forms. It's one of the things that that I like about um, uh, James Leggy's, I I write this and it goes, um, always without desire, we must be found. If it's deep mystery, we would sound. But if desire always within us be, its outer fringe is all that we shall see. It's a great, great little poetry um, that goes towards um, the nature of the um, um, chasing after things and look, looking for happiness outside of ourselves. And that, that never does deliver. It never no. does deliver. And in fact, when I've had a few experiences when I've been at retreat with uh, Ram Das or uh, Stephen and Andrea Levine and we're doing deep meditation and chanting and, you know, becoming one. When you touch on that universal love, or I don't know what the word exactly is. There's there's nothing, there's nothing that can, there's nothing like that. There's nothing better or more or, or anything. It's such a real contact of a powerful loving force and when you when you experience that, even though it may just be a moment or a blip that you you experience it, you realize that that's the real one. It's not the one that you've been seeking that somebody's going to say to you, "I love you," and so that means you're loved. It, I mean, it's not, there's nothing wrong with saying "I love you" to each other. That's not what I mean. I just mean the power of the connecting to the oneness of love. It's. Anyway, it's very moving. So I guess I should move on to some of these other questions we have here. Like, how about talking about what is yin and yang? That's a good one. Um, that's in the um, the second stanza. And um, but yin and yang. Oh, there is she this. is. Very nice. <laughs> it's a symbol. It's an old, old ancient symbol that goes, it goes even before the Tao Te Ching. And before Tai Chi, it goes way back to the I Ching, which is a, a Chinese divination that did did way back. I think it goes back to like 900,000 BC. So the Yin Yang symbol goes way back. Who did it? No one knows. No one knows who designed it. But it goes back that far. And what the what's so beautiful about um, Yin and Yang, which is um, um, how the Tao, the nature of the Tao um, in this symbol. Um, let me see if I can just read a little bit. Um, Under heaven, all can see beauty as beauty only because there is ugliness. All can know good as good only because there is evil. Therefore, having and not having arise together, difficult and easy complement each other, long and short contrast each other. And it goes on and on, I won't go on. But it, it just talks about the nature of, of opposites. And they're not really opposites, but, uh, but they're, notice there's yin and yang. But the relationship of yin and yang is one of interdependence and complementarity. It's not one of like yin is opposite to yang. It's like 
They're at each other's throat. That's not how yin and yang works. They work in harmony together. And it's, it's, a, it's such a wonderful sim symbol for um, our lives and the way, the way that we live our lives. Because all around us, you know, we see things that are opposite to ourselves. I mean, I'm looking at you, you're looking at me. Um, I'm other than you and you seem to be other than me. And a lot of this, it's the way our um, senses tell us the way that things are. But in terms of Taoism, yin and yang are not separate. They are together. It's like we are all together on this planet. And that's, that's a more Taoist way of looking at it, and, and which is more in harmony and more in peace versus that you and I are separate beings and have no connection with each other. And that therefore um, breeds an attitude of fear and distrust and distrust because it's other than us. So, so we become fearful of it. So in, it, it's a whole different philosophy. And it's usually the way society and most people and most nat nations view things as, as, as from that perspective that um, if nations could see each other's as that we make up a unity together, we would, things on this planet would be so, would be so much more different. It would be so much more in harmony and peace because we're in it together. And that's what the yin and yang is in it together. And um, it's polarity, yes. There, and everything in this universe, everything on this planet is in polarity. There's always a plus, there's always a minus, there's a male, female, there's consciousness, there's subconsciousness, there's day, there's night. Everything is in polarity on this planet. It's, it's the way it works. But the polarity exists together. They can, one, you cannot have one polarity without the other. It'll fall apart because it won't hold together. The circle is made with both polarities together. And behind both polarities is that oneness is that circle, which most people don't understand. It's, it's, it's a polarity within the circle. The union, the oneness, the Tao is expressing itself as male and female, but it's like different sides of the same coin. You know, your heads and tails, you could say, well, the heads has no connection to the tails. Well, it, it does, it's, they're part of each other. The heads is part of the same coin. It's part of the same one verse universe. And so that's, that is the whole polarity of yin and yang is just so magnificent and so beautiful um, that the way it's described and it's so deep, it is so deep. There's so much to it. The way that it's interesting, if you look at it, to show you again, you can yeah. see it's, it's like a wave. And so, it, it all goes back also to quantum mechanics where form and creation at sometimes is a particle and sometimes is a wave. And um, the wave is always changing. Yin, you can see yin, the white changes mm -hmm. into yang after, after it expands, it starts again and it's reborn. It changed, the energy changes into yang. So, the energy is always changing from yin to yang. The seasons, like the seasons are always changing from one to the other. 
and um, the polarities yeah. in life. Um, breathing in and breathing out. Exactly. In and breathing out. Exactly. Show them. All, the, all day long, this goes on. Every second we breathe in, we take in, and we exhale out. And interesting that so many different cultures, I've seen that symbol. It's not, and nobody knows the origination or the, what, how it, but many people have adopted it, whether it's into their flag or part of something in their, sure. you know, and you see it all over the world. So there must've been some rem remembrance or something when people see that to know that they wanted that in their culture. Right, right. And so it's, um, um, but the interesting thing is, is that it's, it's um, from the Taoist viewpoint, it's, it's, uh, it's complementary to each other. It's not, they're not opposed to each other. Whereas in society and culture, we tend to treat things as opposite each other. And therefore, it leads to a lot of fear and distress because you think that this is other than you. In one sense, um, in one sense, um, it's just the way we perceive things through our senses. And when we go deep enough in meditation, then we see that we're all connected. Yes. I mean, um, Thich Nhat Hanh, in, in, um, who's a famous Zen Buddhist, you know, talked about the interconnection of all things. And this is what that, that symbol is showing that everything is interconnected. They're not, it's not, it might appear separate, but they're all interconnected. We couldn't live one second without air to breathe. We couldn't live without the sun giving us sunshine. And yet we consider ourselves apart and separate from nature instead of um, a part of nature, which, which we are. And it's, um, it's a, a hallmark of Taoism is that we're all part of the same all part of nature and that um Thich Nhat Hanh I, I saw him once I think I I, I, I kind of ran into him at the steps of the cathedral when he was coming in and he did poetry reading okay and it was the, he was the most beautiful soul and and just just listening to him read his poetry it was enlightening just to listen to him, whatever the word means in enlightening. It was very inspiring. It was yes. very inspiring. And um, I think, did he pass a few years ago? He did pass a couple of years ago. Um, and he lived a long, a pretty long life. And he always looked so much younger that when I heard he passed, I thought, wait, he was such a young man. And then I found out, no, he really wasn't. <laughs> One of his favorite he was also um, taught Taoism and it was also influenced him greatly. And um, he also taught um, in his lectures, he would always re many times refer to Taoism and the nature of the Tao. What a be beautiful soul. So oh, I've got a couple more questions here. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us about what Wu, Wu Xing, Wu, Wu, Wu Xing, Wu Xing, well, why don't we start with Wu Wei? Okay, here know... we are. What is the Wu? I, I have to get the words correct. I have to speak these correctly. What is Wu Wei or flow? That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, Wu Wei, <laughs> because that's that's a that's one of the um, 
one of the strongest practices and teachings of the Tao, of Taoism and the Tao Te Ching. And it's one of that's, that's least understood because for most people it doesn't make any sense. Because what Wu Wei means is non-action, no action, and that are not doing. And um, my favorite interpretation of it is effortless action, effortless action. And um, so, because it, it always talks about Wu Wei in um, Dao's in, in many many of the verses. And that that's that's one way that you can tune in to the Tao, um, to follow the Tao is by practicing Wu Wei. And um, most people in our culture um, are so in imbued with the idea of doing. We're always wanting to do. I'm stuck. And, I feel like yeah. I haven't done a lot of enough things in a day. Then my I I wasted the day because I should exactly. do all these things. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we measure, um, we measure by what we accomplish by the things that we've done and by, by how we do things. And Wu Wei, which is non-doing or effortless action, is, um, is, is a way of being. It's a way of being instead of doing. Just the way we are, human being is different than human doing and so it's a way of experiencing life experience the beingness of life instead of um, um the activity or doing of life and and looking at things from that perspective it's it's learning to be in the present moment the present moment in the now is a way of being it's not necessarily the way of doing. The way of being is when we're in in touch with the present moment, and the present moment is is part of the way of uh, Wu Wei, and um, and what what um, one of the hallmarks of Wu Wei is not forcing things, because a lot of times uh, we try to force. Um, force things to happen mm -hmm. instead of the Wu Wei way is to let things happen, to let nature take its course. That's a very difficult thing for a Westerner to do. We're more, we're more um, raised or taught to do things. And that's the measure of our, sometimes of our self-worth is the things that we've done. And um, our being, the way the present moment is often overlooked and not really held for much weight. But it's at the present moment in our being that the nature of reality is. It's where the Tao is in the present moment. And um, so being in the present moment, not being caught in the, um, our past, what's happened in our past, and not being caught in what's might what we're worried about in the future. It's it's more being in the present moment is the practice of Wu Wei, being being in the present moment, instead of um, just focusing on doing. And being is where the, 
the Tao, the stillness, the stillness of the present moment. You can't, you can't grab it. Try to grab the present moment. It can't be grabbed, but it's there. If you can let yourself be still, you notice you're in the present moment. And there is, when you're in the present moment, there is peace. There is Tao is in the present moment. And that's where you can experience. That's why it's important to, um, to be still is, is a big in the Taoism is to learn to be still, which is what you do in meditation. Jesus said, be still and know God, or it's one of the Psalms. And it's, it's to still ourselves so that we can find our true nature. And that is the path of a way is finding our true nature by being still, by being in the present moment, not getting caught up in the past, which conditions us or in the future where we have anxiety about what might happen. This happens so much that we live our lives in the future. Of, uh, a lot of times we live our lives in the fear of the future. Yep. We're anxious about what might happen. And, um, and our thoughts, we anxious, have anxious thoughts about what the future might hold for us. And when we're doing that, we're out of way. We're not no longer in the present moment. When you're fearing about the future and what might happen, you are not in the present moment. You are in your mind looking at a an expected or feared, fear is most of the time of a feared outcome. Or you're living in the past from something that's happened to you or something that you're attached to and that you hold on to, cling to, and that also prevents you from living your life in the present moment. And the present moment, of course, is um, where deep uh, happiness lies. I remember Ramdas sharing a story because we had this, this retreat with, went on for, I think it was five days or something. It was a pretty long retreat. And it was actually also the first time I ever saw Tai Chi. Oh, cool. Ramdas had somebody that came from, I don't know if it was China or some, he was not from, from the United States. And uh, when he did the Tai Chi, I tried the Tai Chi. Unfortunately, I've never taken a class since then, but I absolutely loved it and felt like I was in my element or something and that I was moving balls of energy. Uh -huh. and, uh, right. Right. Um, anyways, Ramdas shared a story that I've always reminded myself for years and years about that I could never forget because I can't imagine myself doing what he did. Uh, he talks about, he went back to uh, where he grew up or I, mean, I can't remember, it was Massachusetts or wherever it was on the East Coast. And there were all of his collections of everything, all of his accolades and all the things that for the years he'd been whatever certificates or awards or whatever things and all his personal possessions, and he burned everything. <laughs> he said this, all I kept saying to myself, you burned all those, had, and he said, and it was the most freeing and letting go experience he ever had. And I've yet been able to do this, but I keep <laughs> saying this to myself, couldn't I just take a pile of these things? I mean, you don't have to burn them, you can get rid of them or throw them away or sure. give them away. If I give them away, then I feel better. I don't feel bad right. about the same things. But the right. fact that I can't, it's so hard to let go of this 
collections of crap that, and you know, I've been in this house 45 years, so I have 45 years worth of stuff in here. <laughs> and I can never forget. I mean, that was maybe 30 years ago that he told that story. And I could never forget it because he was really sharing that he, I mean, he, he didn't say all his photographs, everything he burned. And I was just like, to be able to do that and to free yourself that way, uh, uh, you know, there was other things. I mean, I was just blown away that that could stay forever in my mind, that that's what, that's the things we should do is become unattached to them. Exactly. And, you know, sometimes you're forced to, like here where we live, there was a lot of fires here in the last few years. And my brother like lost all his home and all his possessions and everything is gone. You didn't choose to do that, but all of a sudden you're with that. You can handle it much better if you've been someone that's been with the Tao or the understanding of that, that, that it's sad, but you're, it's not you and it's not anything you're attached to. You let go. But I'm not, I'm not at that place. I would just like to be at that place. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> I can go upstairs and take out piles of clothing and just get rid of it. You know, what am I holding on to it for? Right. Yeah, I'm working on it too, Gail. It's it's not, a, <laughs> it's not an easy one. Well, but I like the word "wu wei." Wu wei. It's a great word. It also means flow, and flow is a beautiful word. Flow is is also a letting go because yes. to get into to get into flow, you have to be able to let go and go with the flow. Yes. And, and athletes know what this means to get in the flow. And I've experienced it too many times doing different activities. You find yourself just involved totally in this activity, forgetting who you are, and you're just that activity, and everything is flowing perfectly. It's just amazing. It's like you're not doing a thing. It's just like all happening. You get in this field where everything is just flowing, and you're flowing with it. And it's like, just everything is going just as it should. And you're not doing any effort. There's no effort involved. It's just the effort, of course, was to get to that place. I mean, you know, great skiers and mountain bikers and athletes have to put in all that effort to get to that place. But then they experience that flow after they get to that place where everything just flows so naturally. And that's also probably, you know, one of the heightened practices of Wu Wei is to be able to get into that flow where you feel one. And it's that feel of oneness with your all your surroundings, with what you're doing. And you're just in there, in the moment, they say. It's really fascinating. I like, that's how I, I love to be able to travel like that. And the only way I've been able to do that is when I travel alone. Uh -huh. uh, and I had a great, amazing trip in my 30s, and I traveled all over um, Asia by oh, myself. Cool. And I went to Japan and wow. China. I went to cooking school in Hong Kong. I went on to Malaysia, drove through all the jungles of Malaysia, met some friends, went to Singapore. But because I had no plan, the only plan I had was two weeks of cooking school in Hong Kong. That was all my only plan. And I ended up being gone for six or seven weeks and I didn't know where I was going next. And to date, it is, you know, and I've done a lot of traveling around the world. 
it's still my most favorite trip because I just went with the flow and it was just me alone. So I didn't have to consider, did this person want to do that or what, you know what I mean? And I had amazing experiences from just, all right, I'll go to Singapore now. You know what I mean? It was, <laughs> now I, it was very exciting. So I, we're, we're almost at an hour, but I don't want to stop yet because I still have a couple more questions here. I was wondering if you could share with our listeners, how can the practice of Tai Chi and Qigong improve one's life? Well, in many, many ways. Um, one, I find for me, practicing Tai Chi helps me get into the flow as we were just seeing. Um, when I practice the movements that are so um, very slow, and um, graceful and poised and balanced and very meditative. Um, tai Chi and Qigong are really moving meditations at their core. Um, it's not how it's all taught in um, a lot of different places, but at its center, it's really a moving meditation. And when you get into the, the, the meditation, the moving meditation of it, that's when there's such joy that comes up and that feeling of flow. And it just feels so good and, and it's so healing when that happens. So there's, there's a lot of healing that happens um, when you're practicing Tai Chi. Even um, modern medicine who has done a lot of studies has found that Tai Chi is very helpful for stress and um, for injuries um, when done slowly and um, improves circulation and improves balance. Proving outward balance, what you do in Tai Chi, helps to promote inward balance so that you're able to handle situations um, much better than you would um, out, um, without it. And so both the practices of Tai Chi and Qigong help you to go within. It's also helpful for people, some people for standard meditation, it's just not for them. They can't sit still um, to meditate for long periods. Um, and so it's a way of doing outward meditation, movement meditation um, that helps you to, to stay centered while you're practicing. You're doing all these forms, but you're centered within while you're practicing them. And you're, you're center, you center yourself within the Tao, the centers, and then you practice all these forms that, that, that you do with your body. And you, they're done very slowly. So you can really feel the meditative aspect to it. And um, it has um, so much benefit just for your overall well-being. So is there a big difference between, I mean, I see the outcome and the meditative and is it just that it's different forms between mm -hmm. Qigong and Tai Chi or is it different? Was it the teachers who brought it? Were they from different countries or is this a... Well, Qigong is just a little bit more concentrated. There isn't as much movement. It's more concentrated. Um, Qigong means cultivating skillfully Qi. And um, it's just, it's, it's different than Tai Chi. There's more movement. There's more forms. You, you, it looks like some think it's a karate form being done or something in slow motion. Mm -hmm. 
And that slow motion, of course, is part of the meditative aspect. When you slow yourself down, you become naturally more meditative. And the Qigong is just more condensed. It's still, there's still movement, but it might just be a movement of your hands going back and forth or different, different flow of the, um, the arms. There isn't the full movement that you get in Tai Chi, but they both do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say one's any better than the other. It's just a matter of personal preference that you enjoy doing. And for people who maybe can't go take a Tai Chi or Qigong class, because they might be live more remotely or anything like this, is there any YouTube videos or anything you can recommend for them to watch? For sure. Um, um, Master Liao, who I studied with, has um, uh, a whole website with um, different videos that you can uh, watch um, um, called... Um, Tai Chi, uh, tai Chi Dao. It's under daichidao.com or .org. Um, if you go online and, and hit um, Tai Chi Dao, it'll, it'll pop up. And then also for Qigong, um, I, I really like um, um, uh, Spring Forest. Spring Forest with uh, Chung Yi Li. He teaches and has very many, many videos that are free that you can watch. Um, if you go to my site, I have some on my, if you plug in my name on YouTube, just, just some basic introductory. They weren't even meant to be for public, but I put them out there because my students wanted um, to review some of the forms after we had practiced them. So, you know, um, so you're always welcome to do that. So and for, in our, color, huh? for our listeners who aren't on YouTube, could you just spell out the website or the place where they can watch what you're talking about? Let's go to YouTube and plug my name in. So it's J-I-L-L. L-O-W-Y. L-O-W-Y. And it'll pop up. Okay. And I also recommend Bruce Francis, who's a practitioner um, up northern. I think he has a school in northern Colorado. And he's been doing both Qigong and Tai Chi for a long time. And I highly recommend him. And John Milton, who does Way of the Tao, he's also um, um, a Taoist practitioner in Southern Colorado under Way of Nature, teaches um, Tai Chi and, um, and he's very good. I highly recommend all those people. Great. Uh, so I- we just, touched on it gail yeah there's so much more so much more to talk about uh i was i had well there's one uh, one other thing i wondered if we could get in about which i actually have two things one was i was reading in your book about the five practices and i was reading about um the buddha and the four noble truths so I don't know if we, if you have time, if we could talk a little bit about the five practices. Sure. And the five practices are connected to what we had talked about, Wu Zing, which is W-U and capital X-I-N-G, Wu Zing. Zing. And that means the, the five principles. And in, in Taoism, like in other esoteric disciplines, they have the five elements. I mean, you studied shamanism. You must have been. They mu- you must have been introduced into the el- the basic elements of 
um, earth, air, fire, water, and spirit. And, and others are metal. In, in yes, in, in Wu Zing, instead of spirit, it's, it's metal. Mm -hmm. And also instead of air, it's wood. But there's, they're, the, they're the same five elements that we see in hermetics, that we see in magic, that we should see in shamanism. In Buddhism, they say it have the same five elements in different sutras. In yoga, they have the same five elements in kundalini practice. I mean, it's all over the place. And so it's also part of Taoism, those five elements. And so what I put together is the five practices uh, for each element, which are in the book, um, like for the earth element, um, being be, is the practice of solidity, firmness, foundation, the earth. And, um, and so here, one of the practices that I bring out, um, and there's many of them, but I just bring out a few, is um, being mindful of your actions, one actions, and how those actions um, affect others. And if the actions that you are doing are harmonious with the earth, the environment, yourself, um, if they're virtuous actions, the virtue is very big in Taoism. So it's important to practice virtue as it is in, in the other, um, traditions also. But so you want to examine your actions to make sure your actions are harmonious, peaceful, loving. And so so uh, one of the is being mindful of your actions, the actions that you do, the imprint that you leave on the earth. Yes. So that would be the earth element. The water element is the principle of fluidity. Um, the key words are yielding, receptivity, nurturing, and also flowing. The practice of yielding is something that's done in Tai Chi. And it's kind of interesting. It's, it's a way like in Tai Chi, sometimes we practice um, um, rolling and pushing hands. And here, when a force is coming against you, instead of um, blocking force with force, the way with yielding is you, you take that force in and you change the direction of the force. So it's not coming to harm you. You take that, that force and you change the direction and you, and you um, change that direction so it's not causing harm. So it's, it's, it's an interesting technique and you can also do that um, um, with your mind, with your attitude. Um, when somebody is presenting their ideas to you, um, a lot of times, you meet those ideas or those um, attitudes with something. Well, that's that's not my attitude. I don't like that attitude. I totally disagree with that attitude. So right there, what you're doing is you're blocking force with force. It's an ego against ego thing happening. And the Tai Chi way is to take that energy and yield to it. So you accept that there what you try to understand and accept where they're coming from. So you're taking that energy and you're allowing it to express itself, but then you're also um, transforming it with, with maybe it's some of um, your ideas on the subject also. But you're not just, you're just, you're not just um, battling force from force or battling someone's ego um, direct, um, 
you know, that blocking it that way, because then there's a stalemate. There's no, there's no resolution of the energy and it, and there's no flow. Of course, the energies are blocked. And so you want to learn to take that energy to yield to that energy and um, to transform it, change it, understand it. Um, and so it's a practice that um, um, is very helpful in letting people, other people to live their lives also, instead of trying to want them to do what you want them to do. I like that visual of the negative energy coming at you, whether it's physical or verbal, and you shifting it over, like diffusing it like that. Yeah. yeah it's not getting yes. not pushing it away, it's rerouting it like <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's taking yes. that energy and trying and transforming it into more harmonious way of dealing with it mm -hmm. instead of instead of just um reacting, reacting to it and um blocking it, being afraid of it. Um and tr trying to force your way and not understanding their way. It's, it's a way of understanding and mutual, mutual understanding. That's such a better reaction than what I would probably come up with, which is become defensive immediately. Exactly. And all of a sudden you don't hear what the person's saying anyway, and nobody hears what each other is saying. And you're just in a circle of, anger or negative words or thoughts and it's a stuck place it's like the exactly. that exactly talking about going around the leaf going around in yes, circles yes 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 um, and so and so yeah. the fire principle that was earth earth and water and then fire is um is um creativity strength oh. uh, purification it's learning to purify the mind through mindfulness and meditation, um, to learn about uh, one's own attitudes, beliefs, and and um, how that affects your life and other people's lives, and if those attitudes and ideas are harmonious, are they balanced, are they true, and um, so it's it's to um, be mindful of your own. Um, like energies your energies coming in yeah yeah to be mindful of that and um and then once you become mindful and you then you can change it's like if you if you're not aware if if of what's going on within you then you can't change it because you're not aware of it so many people are like that leaf they're stuck in this whirlpool going round and round and round, and they never know, you know, um, how their attitudes, how their actions affect other people. And, um, and so it's until you become conscious of it, until you become aware of it, once you become aware of it, through mindfulness, through meditation, then you can change it. And then you can get out of that little eddy mm -hmm. and get back into the flow of life. So that's the fire element. And then with the wood element or air, that's uh, the principle of compassion, love and understanding. And it's, uh, it's part of the practice of that is treating all people with loving kindness and fairness, 
um, the way you would like to be treated. Um, the Dalai Lama said that um, his religion is down to the bare knuckles is loving kindness. And so it's practicing that loving kindness with all people, regardless of their sex, their gender, their, their race, their color, their orientation, none, none of that matters. It's, you know, um, it's accepting people for who they are and trying to come from a place of compassion and understanding through other people in the world which will bring more harmonious relationships, will lead to more harmonious actions, and will lead to more harmony in our lives on this planet. Yes, and we need that now. We do more need it. Ever. <laughs> we do need it now. And the last one, of course, the mental element is the spiritual element. And that's, of course, the practice of meditation, um, stillness, um, if you don't do that, it's it's getting out nature where you quiet your mind, um, um, not getting stuck in all this. The in yoga, there's a thing that that's called uh, chitti vritti naroda, and it's stopping the thought forms in your mind, and it's learning to still them down and not being identified with the thoughts and the motion and all the things that are constantly going on in the mind because we tend to identify them with them. Um, they, for most of us, our, our emotions, our, um, our thoughts um, rule us. They are what controls us. Instead of us controlling them, they control us. What we think, you know, we tend to be and we tend to act what we think. When thoughts are just, are just thought forms that are going through our minds and things that certain thought forms we like and we're attracted to and certain thought forms we don't like. So it's learning to discriminate with thought forms and be careful what thought forms we attach ourselves to, um, not to attach ourselves to negative thought forms, but to more positive thought forms, which in my previous lecture, we talked about karma, about bringing more positive thoughts, more positive actions in our life, which will bring more peace and harmony in our lives if we do this. And so um, by um, practicing stillness, we can become aware of what's going on in our heads because most people <laughs> have no idea what's going on in their heads because they don't take the time that they're always continue. And so this society, we're always continually distracted from radio to TV to what's going on every second. And it's, it's even with the youth today, with the cell phones, we seem to be so stuck on, on you know, what's getting so attached to what's- Social media thing. Yeah, it's just, yeah. it's- it's and so there's social, no, but it doesn't feel like it's very social. It's like you're by yourself talking to a phone. Exactly. Everybody, everybody's on their tele. I went to New York City and I'm sitting at for the visit for the first time. And I'm sitting on the steps and I'm walking all watching all these people go by. 
and nobody is talking to anybody and they're all walking with their cell phones holding it's it's amazing to watch that happen it's there's no interaction going on or intercommunication nobody says hi to each other thank god thank you don't bump into somebody and it's just it everybody is on their cell phones and there's no interaction going it's pretty I, I, amazing i grew up in new york city i, I was born in, i was born in manhattan general and um, I came to California to, to live when I was 15 and a half, because when I went, came out here, I experienced nature in a way that I'd never had before. I was used to subways and buses and, you know, like a neighborhood park, but it's not, that's where I go for my nature. I go to a park, but that's sort of like planned nature. It's an organized, you know. But to go out into nature where it's just natural giant redwood trees are, are growing and the ocean is splashing up against giant huge rocks and the you know and there's sea lions or whatever. I went back to New York and I called up and I said, I can't live here anymore. I, I can't, you know, I dropped out of high school and I came to live because I wanted to sit by a creek. <laughs> wow. And I've been living, I mean, I live in sort of, you know, I live in a, the town near me is called Sebastopol. But, you know, I live where there's all redwood trees and, and fruit trees and a lot of nature and I get to watch the sunrise. And I, I feel for my relatives and friends that they live in an apartment in Manhattan and how they're, and especially during the, those COVID years, how hard that was to not, you know, I have one friend, he says, no, I've never opened my windows in this apartment. I've lived here for 20 years. And I'm thinking, I can't sleep without fresh air coming in. I don't care whether it's cold or hot or whatever. I need my fresh air. So I, some of these cities really detach you from all that. And, and people forget that that's like, a lot, I know a lot of inner city kids have tremendous healing and experiences when they're taken away to a camp somewhere and they get to bond with nature. And they may not have to become... Uh, a child, a kid that becomes in a gang or becomes, uh, you know, an angry, but they've never been exposed to that. Right. And right. I feel like nature is one of the most healing and teaching just to sit there and watch a hummingbird, just sit there with the hummingbird. It's a beautiful experience. And it doesn't feel any lesser than it was if I looked at a hummingbird 20 years ago or if I look at the same hummingbird today it still fills me with awe at how a bird can be like a helicopter you know <laughs> yeah. yeah so uh did we hit all the elements we did enough for today okay so I just wanted to say here before I give my closing uh of the show statements of goodbyes if there's anything, wisdom, words, websites, anything that you might want to say in your last little section here of anything you'd want to share with the listeners. Just one thing, I want to teach a mudra that you probably already know. A mudra is a hand gesture in yoga and oh. Buddhism. And it's the bringing the hands together of polarity. You're bringing both polarities together of yin and yang bringing them into balance and, and bringing them to your heart and saying, I wish you peace, I wish you joy, I wish you love and harmony. And let that resonate with the hands together in your heart. You're bringing those together in balance and peace. And just wanna wish that for your listeners. 
Thanks, Gail. Thank you so much, Jill. This was really a pleasure having you back for a second visit here at a small, medium, at large podcast. And I want to thank you listeners for tuning in and remembering we're on Spotify, YouTube, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and other social media sites. <laughs> and we look forward to seeing you again. And I look forward to our visit in Colorado. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. And remember, listeners, share your stories because stories can heal. Bye. 